your Bibles tonight would like to turn with me, I'm going to be in the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 22 and verse number 31. I was contemplating on what to preach tonight, and I had thought I had decided, and then I decided again and thought I had known it then, and then changed my mind one more time. So hopefully the third time is a charm tonight. I've actually, I was going through some notes and considering a sermon that I'd preached. They're tied together, the water bottles. <laughs> or glued together. They're, they're stuck together with glue. Thanks, Mr. Bodge. You could tell Miss Albrecht was very proud of him. Possibly kind of jealous also when... The, uh, the water bottle fiasco is underway. There's somehow only three left. There was about 30 of them up here oh, two weeks ago, so I don't know where they've all gone, but those, unless I was, maybe I was set up tonight this time. It was down to three, and they were all three glued together. So if someone wants to relay that message and re-glue them before Sunday, I'm sure uh, Pastor Weiss will enjoy it also. But anyway, some time ago I preached basically the same sermon and I don't remember when it was or how it went. So Lord willing, it wasn't too bad and you don't remember it also. And if you do, hopefully this time will be better. If you would, stand with me if you found your place and are able to do so and look at a couple verses that many of you are very familiar with. Luke chapter number... 22 and verse number 31, we have this record of Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. We find these words beginning in verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Uh, Peter goes on to say in the next few words, he says, Lord, no, I'll be ready to go to prison, even die with you. And then Jesus is going to again kind of scold him and say, no, before the, the cock crows or the rooster crows, you'll deny me thrice. Peter had a view of the future that he couldn't really understand or compare to what Jesus really saw. Jesus understood something and realize that indeed Peter would be go through this moment of, of great struggle and discouragement and really defeat in his life. And Jesus says, Peter, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Though you're going to go through this hard time, there's opportunity for you to revive and come out of it. And when you do, strengthen your brother. We're going to look at this process that Peter went through as we consider the conversion of Peter. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have here tonight to examine your word. Lord, may we do it with wisdom and discretion. We trust that the Spirit of God would lead us tonight and have your perfect way in us. May you be glorified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. You can be seated. If you consider tonight these words of Jesus as he says to Peter, 
Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. We're probably most of us anyways are not real familiar with the process of threshing wheat. But there are different processes where you'll take the, 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 the grain that's dried and ready for this threshing process. And though today it's much, all of it done really, for the most part, mechanically. There was a day when it required physical labor. And there was different processes. One of them could be, and I think he's picturing this as almost like a sieve where you would put the grain on like a, a mesh area and the seed would fall through the cracks and it would be left just the, the outer part, this, this husk or this waste, the chaff, if you will. And Jesus makes this picture to Peter and he says, Peter, this is what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to put you on the sieve and he wants to send you through it. And he wants that all that's left it to be is the outer layer. He wants you to become this pile of useless threshing or this useless husk. He wants your flesh to be exposed and he wants your flesh to be glorified to where God can't get any glory out of your life and your purpose has just kind of gone through the cracks. And unfortunately, I think it's safe to say that many times in the lives of believers, they find themselves in a similar place where maybe there was a day when God was doing a work in their life. There was a day when things seemed to be going very well for them spiritually, but then they began to go through the threshing of the, of the devil, the threshing of Satan. And because they couldn't take control and they, they were unwilling to make it right, they found all the purpose that God wanted for them and all the potential and all the blessings just kind of seeped through the cracks and all that was left was this empty outer layer. And I say today that's exactly what Satan desires of you tonight. If we could consider, first of all tonight, Peter the casualty. There came a time in Peter's life, and this was really the beginning of it, where it was almost like Peter died sp spiritually. And almost his influence, his testimony, all that died with him. He uses this word, when thou art converted. Often we talk about a conversion of the, the soul. For a person who's unsaved, they've never been, we sometimes say, converted. They need to be born again. They need to be saved. And I don't think there's anything wrong with using that word because that, that word, is, it, it applies to such a thing because something that's converted, it's changed. It's turned from one thing to another. If you convert a unit of measurement, it's changed from maybe ounces into milliliters or it's turned from um, inches to yards. It's changed. There's something different now in it. When a person comes to Christ, can I remind you and encourage you that there is a change? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And when a person is saved, there's a change that occurs in their life. God begins to do a new work in them. Just like Jesus when he talked to Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again. When a, a person is born of the Spirit, there's a transformation that occurs in the life of the believer. 
I know there are many people in this world that believe that you've got to do good in order to get saved, or you've got to, um, in order to get saved, you've got to um, do all these good works. They, we sometimes call it a work salvation. And I don't know that anyone here tonight believes in a work salvation, but biblically speaking, salvation does work. And it changes the life. It changes you from the inside out. But he's not talking about the, the spiritual transformation of salvation here. He's talking about what we might call, as we've said the word tonight already several times, revival. To be revived. To take something that was alive and that has become deadened and bring life back into it. I'm sure all of us have experienced the frustration of going out to a vehicle and turning the key and either hearing that wretched seeing the lights just barely come on real dimly and you're, you're already late. That's, it never happens when you just randomly go out and want to start the car just for a, you know, a, test, a test of the, the uh, starter. It's always when you're running behind, right? And you realize the dome light was left on or the kids left the door, you know, unsecure, and, and something had slowly drained the battery down. Well, many times you don't need a new battery. You don't necessarily need a new car, though sometimes at that point you wish you had one. What do you need? You need a charge. You need something, you need life put back into that battery. Sometimes in the spiritual life, though, we can be bogged down. Sometimes it's just the, the simple dome light that's left on. And we become wore out spiritually. And we, we, we get our battery drained. And then we, we find ourselves right here where Peter was. Jesus said, Peter, you're getting ready to go through this series of events. These series of events. You're going to go through this time where Satan's going to have the upper hand in your life. And you're going to need a revival. You're going to need life put back into you. You're not going to be unsaved all of a sudden. But your spiritual life is going to wax very dim and, and, uh, and it's going to be dead. And you're going to need something to liven you. As we consider this casualty of Peter, or Peter the casualty, and you think about a casualty on a battlefield, often that's when that term is used. Someone who becomes a casualty, often people think about them being someone who is uh, killed in, in, in the line of duty or in battle. But a casualty could also be just someone that was wounded or lost on the battlefield or became a, uh, you know, ran off on the battlefield. They, they, they are no longer involved in the fight. They're no longer able and productive as a soldier. And here Peter would lose all of his influence as a soldier of the Lord. The Bible tells us here that Satan hath desire. This is the desire of Satan for all of us tonight. As we've been talking on Sunday nights about the home and the family, can I remind you tonight that Satan desires to sift your family as wheat. Satan desires to sift your marriage as wheat. Satan desires to sift your influence with your children and your relationship with your parents just like wheat, so that all the productive seed and the, the blessing of, of the harvest is all lost. And all that remains is waste. The Bible tells us in John 10, 10, that the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. No thief ever entered a building with any intent to 
make better the, 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 the property that he's entering, right? He didn't go to repair the window. He went to break through the window. He didn't, no thieves break in to return things. They break in to take things. The Bible tells us that Satan is like a thief. And not just like a thief, he is a thief. He desires to break into your life, to break into your family, to break into your mind, to break into your heart, and to steal and to kill and to destroy. Ultimately, he desires to steal you from being a productive Christian. He desires to ruin your testimony. He, he desires to steal the joy that you have in Christ. All that God wants for you and all the benefits of being saved, God, or Satan wants to be a thief in your life and remove those things. Later on in Peter's spiritual life, he would write the epistles of Peter. And in Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, we're reminded that we have an adversary of the devil as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. If you've ever watched maybe a nature video on predators like lions, you know that they don't, they're not like deer hunters. They don't wait for the biggest rack or the biggest buck to walk by. They look for something they can take advantage of. They look for the weak. They look for the young. They look for an e easy target. And I'm convinced that this picture of Satan being a lion is very similar to what we could consider as a predator looking for prey. And he's looking for weaknesses in your life. He's looking for weaknesses in our church. He's looking for weaknesses in our relationships. Young people, he's looking for weaknesses in our youth department. And he desires to enter in and find those weaknesses and bring us down and destroy us. Peter became a casualty. What, what was it that really affected Peter's life? What was it that caused him to find him, himself as a man who stood in the presence of Jesus himself? And let me just read these. Look down in verse number 33. This is Peter's rebuttal to what Jesus said to him. Chapter 22, verse 33, And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. He said, I, I'm willing to go all the way with you, Lord. Almost as a, if to say, Lord, how dare you say that I'm going to need to be converted? There's nothing that's going to hinder me from being close to you. But we see him just hours after this forsake him with all the other apostles and run. And then we see him being questioned about his influence or his... Um, his time with the Lord, and he begins to deny, and then he goes as far as to curse and try to separate himself as far as he could from being a follower of Christ. And then if you would, be turning over to the last book of the Gospel of John, John chapter number 21, because really I believe this is the picture of Peter and his defeated state. This is where Peter really reveals his casualty moment. Now, there were several days in between, maybe uh, almost a couple weeks in between from the moment he had said these words and these words were said of him to this occasion. 
And we don't have much of the accounts of what took place. We have a couple episodes. But here in chapter number 21, in verse number 3, the Bible tells us, Simon said unto them, and these were some of the other apostles, he says, I go a-fishing. You see, first of all, Peter began to look behind him. He began to look back at the past. You remember that Jesus had called him, and we'll look at this in a moment, from the, the, the ships and of the, from the seashore and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And, and he had cha changed his vision. His vision was no more for the fishing industry or the financial world, but it was now the ministry and serving God. But now in a moment where his potential and his ministry could have flourished, he's now looking back. I'm going to turn over to the book of Hebrews and just, if you want to write this in your notes, if you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, listen to these words, talking about these people of faith. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. These people of faith were looking forward for something. And listen to the, verse number 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. There's a great danger in the Christian life to looking back. Paul writes to the church at Philippi in chapter 3 of Philippians in verse 13 and says, forgetting those things which are behind. He said the things of the past, there's, a, there's a, just a, an admonition for believers to put in the past. That doesn't mean you remove all things from the, in the past from your mind or from your memory, but your focus needs to be forward, not on what's behind you. Jesus even said, he that putteth his hands to the plow and looketh back is not worthy he that begins and begins to look back, there, there, there's a great danger in a person who does that. But this is exactly what Peter began to do. He looked back behind him. And in looking behind him, secondly, he lost his vision. If you wanted to turn with me back in the um, Gospel of Mark, in verse number, or chapter number one, rather, we have this account where he had just finished pulling in this haul of fishes and it was a bumper crop in the fishing industry and he had been just of the understanding at this point there was a an illumination in his heart and mind that this was the very Christ this was the Messiah whom they had expected and in verse number 16 of chapter number one we see now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus saith unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway, or immediately, they forsook their nets and followed him. See, he, at that moment in life, he had gained a new vision. It was no longer for the worldly things that he had craved for so long. It was no longer for this this uh, family business that he was involved in. His new vision was to follow after Christ. But when he looked back, naturally he lost his vision for what he had 
already set forth to follow. And the great danger in looking back is not really what you're seeing, but what you're not seeing. The great danger in viewing what's behind you is you're not viewing what's in front of you. If you're ever driving an automobile, you know that there's a very large glass in front of you that's transparent. And there's a very small mirror that's not meant to be viewed into for too long. But often people get distracted looking in their mirrors or looking at something besides out the window. And often crashes occur at that point and moment. And in life, as we begin to look at something other than the big windshield in front of us, and we lose that vision for what God has for us, often that's when we become this casualty. And I think that's what, what was happening to Peter. He failed to look forward. He, or he looked behind him, thus he lost his vision, failing to look forward. And in so doing, number three, he limited his potential. Look back in just a few, maybe a page or so from John chapter number 21 to the previous chapter, chapter number 20. We would find, if you study this out, that Jesus had already appeared to them a couple of times. <clears throat> One of those times were <clears throat> recorded here in chapter 20 of John, verse number 21. It says, Jesus saith unto them, Again, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, <clears throat> Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. He, he says to Peter here and to the other apostles, this was just days prior or maybe a day prior to him ready to go back to fishing. He says, I, I, I just want to remind you of your mission. Here's the mission. As I've been sent and as I'm sending you, you go forth and reach others with the gospel. And I'm, I'm going to leave. I've, he's already told them this many times. But he said, this is what I promised. You're going to receive from me the Spirit of God so that you're going to have the power and authority here on earth to fulfill my wishes and my, my biddings. They'd already in many times seen the great hand of God move. They, they had seen God raise the dead and they had been able to cast out demons and, and they had seen all these miracles. And now this reminder of what God was able to do in them was given. And can I just remind you tonight as the church of the living God that He has separated us from darkness unto light. He's filled us with his spirit, he desires for us to go forth in victory and in power. I, we were talking the other night, and some of our young boys, our teenage boys, were, we have a meeting before church, those that are unfit and unwelcome to sing in the choir. Um, we study the Bible instead. And uh, we were talking about just finances and making money. And I was re we were reading from um, Timothy where... Paul says um, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. But then it goes on to it, just admonish and encourage those. It says those that are rich in this world, um, be generous, be giving. And then there's a statement that we often forget to preach on. And it says, for God hath given us all things to enjoy. 
It's an interesting statement in the book of Timothy. He says, God's given us all things to enjoy. The good things in life, God wants us to enjoy. He didn't leave us here to be weak and bored and powerless. He, he's left us here to be excited and determined, filled with His joy and filled with His love and filled with His authority. Last week we had a different group of people in our services that sat right over here. And some people were a little bit, I could see on your faces as I sat up here and led singing. Some of you were a little bit uncomfortable by their enthusiasm. And I'll go ahead and say I am not a charismatic, if you didn't know. And I'm not a Pentecostal. But some of you, it wouldn't hurt you to get a little bit of what they got. I mean, just because you look like you're bored at church doesn't make you more spiritual. All right? Maybe something down the middle would be, would be acceptable, right? God didn't give us the spirit of boredom to be in church. God didn't call us to be sad, right? He, he says, I've given you joy. Joy that, not, not, or he says, I've given you peace, not as a pe the, the world giveth, but I've given you peace from me. God's given us joy that passes, and peace that passes all understanding. He's given us something that we ought to be living with and enjoying. But I think so often we find ourselves just like Peter, where we've lost that joy, we've lost that vision, we've lost that calling, and because of this we've limited, I think we personally limit our own potential that God has for us. God has things available for us, but we miss out on them. In the nursing home Sunday, I preached from Psalm chapter 78, where the Bible says that Israel limited the Holy One in, in Israel, in the wilderness. Even though God had done all these wonderful things, there was more that God wanted to do for them, yet they limited His potential. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but Pastor Weiss changed the song last week. You won't believe the irony of this. I had chosen last Wednesday night our first song to be Pentecostal Power. That's no joke. He scratched it from the agenda and we sang uh, at Calvary instead. He was a little bit nervous to sing that one. Again, I'm not Pentecostal, but what they had on the day of Pentecost was, I believe, what God desires for the church and that picture of that church to be today. But often we limit him, we limit our own potential. And then also, as we consider the casualty of Peter, we see he ultimately just lacked faith. John chapter 20, it should be right where you are. A man by the name of Thomas, Thomas gets this Credit for being the doubter. In verse number 24 it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them. This is when Jesus said, I breathe on you the, um, the, the Holy Spirit. And he, says, he goes on to give them the, these promises. Thomas wasn't with them. And, and in verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. What a wonderful testimony. We've seen the Lord. But he saith unto them, Except I shall see him. Uh, his hands, uh, the prince of the nails, and put my fingers into the prince of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. He said, unless I see it with mine own eyes, I'm not going to believe. And if you look down, Jesus later confronts him. 
the next week and says in verse number 29, he saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And here Thomas gets this testimony of being the doubter. But how could you give any more credit to Peter when he leaves this meeting after seeing him and instead of fulfilling the desires of the Lord, he says, I go fishing. I think we could call all the apostles the doubters here. P Peter lacked simply faith to obey the Lord. See, faith, is a very simple definition for faith is simply taking God at his word. Faith is just saying, God, you've said it, and so I'm going to trust you and obey it. God had already given him a commission. God had given him things to do. Yet he failed to be obedient to that heavenly calling. We see the casualty of Peter. And finally, under this matter, we see that he listened to reason. Consider very quickly with me, in John chapter 20 and verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews... Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Why were they up in that upper room and why were the doors locked? Because they were fearful. Can I tell you that reason from within often brings about fears? Now, I, I encourage wisdom, I encourage, um, right, for us to be walking soberly and of a sound mind. God's called us to that. But the life of faith and the ministry that God's called us to often doesn't live up to our, our natural reasoning, right? Sometimes it goes against the grain. Sometimes it requires us to set aside what makes sense to simply obey and follow after the Lord. See, to step out into the street and begin to proclaim Christ seemed like something dangerous and foolish and perilous. And his reason, the following after reason, caused him to become fearful. Following or listening to reason often, uh, or also in his life, was a, a belief or a consideration of failure. We're not going to look there, but in John chapter 18 and verse 27, this is where the account of him denying Christ as we've already spoken. And what shame that must have brought in his life. Had, having failed the Lord. I mean directly and willingly. Gone out of his way to fail the one. Who was in the process of dying for him. And often in our, our reasoning, our judgment. Looks at failure. And begins to question and Satan often comes in and goes ahead and encourages this idea that because we've failed the Lord, there's really no hope for us in the future. We've let him down too much for anything to really come about for good in our life. Peter was listening to this spirit of reason in his mind, and I think also he considered the future. And as he listened to reason... The future seemed a lot brighter if he could get this fishing business back underway. 
there was stability and there was financial gain and there was a career and there was benefits of society and family and friendships there on the boat. And as he listened to the reason of these things, he forsook what God had wanted in his life and pursued this. But what a blessing and encouragement to consider that there was not just Peter the casualty, but there was also Peter's conversion. Because of time, I just want to consider a couple of things tonight. As we examine the story in chapter number 21, if you'll look there, I'm just going to read a few verses and, and give some insight on it. It says in verse 4, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast your nets on the other side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw in the net for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. He said, Nobody could have told us and where these fish were except for the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fishers, uh, fishing coat unto him, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubics, or about 150 feet, dragging the net with the fishes. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw fire of coals there, and the fish laid thereon and bread. And he saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught, down in verse number 12, Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. He says, come eat with me. And then in verse 13, Jesus cometh and taketh bread and giveth them the fish likewise. An interesting statement, but it says it's now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. In verse 15, so that when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said, Peter, do you love me more than these things? Your friends, your companions, your family, your fishing, all these things that you believed, or do you love me more? Peter says, you know that I love you more. And there's th we, we know the story three times. He would ask him this, and at the conclusion of questioning him about his love and his dedication to the Master, the Bible tells us, in verse 17, he saith, or I'm um, sorry, uh, yeah, let's just read all of 17. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he saith unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest. This spake he, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. If we could just consider a few things about Peter's conversion. First of all, he removed the hindrances. See, there was a hindrance. His view of Christ had been distorted. See, he saw this person walking on the shore, but he didn't really know that it was Christ. 
Can I say today that whenever you lose your vision for the things of God and you find yourself a casualty of the world and of the devil, that your view of Christ often becomes distorted. Yes, he's still there and maybe you're still coming to church, but you're not seeing him as he is. There is a, a distortion of his view of Christ. Why? Because, number one, he was distracted. He was focused on fishing. And then there was a distance in between. There was a, a gulf that had been fixed in between the Lord and Peter. And then we also consider the view of himself. It's interesting how he, or how the Lord viewed Peter was important to him. Now we don't know by what degree of nakedness he had, he had been on the ship. I don't think he was completely naked. But the Bible says that when he saw Jesus, he realized he needs to put more clothes on. And his view of himself had changed when he was distant from the Lord. He began to bypass things that he knew were important and knew were a, a ought to be something he, he had the focus on. But he had lost that vision. But now he began to remove these hindrances. And all of a sudden they realize this is Christ. There he is. And I need to make some changes. So he removed the hindrances. But then it says he, remo he returned to Christ. He didn't wait till the ship got to the sea or he didn't wait to be carried on a boat. He just dove in and swam to the shore. And he returned to Christ. And then finally he renewed this passion. See, the great issue of Peter's life wasn't that he hadn't been going to church. He had been meeting with the other brethren and the other apostles. It wasn't that he didn't know the truth. It wasn't that God hadn't called him. It wasn't even that he was doing bad things. Nowhere do we see him except for that moment where he was cursing the Lord and denying him. We don't see him involved in some type of fornication or adultery. We don't see him wrapped up in some type of criminal activity or some sort of heinous wickedness. But he had simply grown cold. His affection to the Lord had, had become cold and boring. His relationship with God had become distant and dead. So Jesus begins to rekindle this with these simple questions, saying, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you, do you really love me? We see in this renewal of his passion, there needed to be a renewal of love, a re renewal of obedience, and then a renewal of service. He says to him, follow me. And I don't think any of us would disagree that this was a change in direction for the Apostle Peter. He would no longer be the same man as he was from this point over. In the next book, we get into the book of Acts and we would see him standing before the multitudes, preaching with boldness despite the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews who had already killed the Lord, he would stand there boldly with authority and power. He would go on to be imprisoned and ultimately he would go on to become a martyr for the Lord. Things in his life would never be the same. He would go on to write 
those epistles there of First and Second Peter. And if you read those words, you can tell it's not from a novice or a young convert. This is from a, a man of spiritual sobriety and of real biblical wisdom. This conversion in his life made all the difference. And in closing, could I just challenge you tonight to examine your own life, to examine your own ministry, to examine the relationships around you, and maybe even look back over the weeks and months and years of your life and ask this simple question, have I, be, have I become a casualty? Am I wounded in the fight? Am I lost in battle? Am I spiritually dead? And do I need a quickening in my life? Do I need some reviving? Do I need a conversion? And I would say there's at least one area in all of our lives, and maybe many for some of you. I don't want to find myself in a place where I'm just the husk or the chaff of the wheat. I want to fulfill God's purpose and glorify Him. But I can't do that unless this conversion takes place in my life and I'm serving the Lord as He intended me to serve. And I encourage you tonight, we're going to have a moment in, of prayer and seeking the Lord. And I just want you as, as the church, let's examine our lives. Let's consider, are there areas of our lives that need a conversion? And if there be, let's make an altar there at your seat or find a place here at this altar and let's confess it and let's repent and let's allow the Lord to do a work of converting us tonight.